This is Chris Nessie, founder of the Education Podcast Network. ISTE 2019 is right around the corner, and we're hosting an Education Podcast Network meetup. Come out on Sunday, June 23rd at 6 p.m. at Pat's King of Steaks and meet all your favorite Education Podcast Network podcasters and connect with other listeners. We're going to have an old-fashioned cheesesteak challenge. We're going to eat at Pat's. We're going to eat at Geno's. We're going to have a good time, talk podcasting, and we'd love to see you there. Come out on June 23rd at 6 p.m. if you're going to be in Philly for ISTE 2019. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, back to the podcast. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Gian Bullhouse, and we're talking about the importance of independent reading choice. That's right. Good stuff today. Lots to learn. Glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Hey, welcome back. We first talked with Gian Bullhouse almost a year ago in episode 205 of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, where we talked about the future-ready librarian. Today, we are focused on independent reading choice. Jeanne started her career in education in 1994 in Middle Tennessee. She moved to Georgia in 2003 and immediately fell in love with professional learning. She served as a classroom teacher, computer skills teacher, and later as a school-level instructional technology coach. She holds advanced degrees in the field of curriculum and instructional technology and is certified in the service fields of instructional technology and as a media specialist. Jeanne currently serves as the instructional technology specialist and media specialist liaison for Whitfield County Schools, Georgia. Her heart is in building relationships and empowering teachers leaders. You can find Jeanne often at local ed camps and coffee edu meetups where she loves talking with and learning from other educators. Online you'll find her on Twitter at G-A-B-O-L-H-U-I-S. So uh, say hi to everyone Jeanne. Hello, thanks for having me. Well glad to have you here and, uh, and I appreciate you uh, joining me so we can have a another talk and uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, independent reading and choice uh, but before we go there Let's start by talking about our own reading. Um, sounds silly, but did you like reading as a kid? I did. Um, I went to, I grew up in a, a, a blue collar home where both my parents worked, but my babysitter read to me and I can remember the little golden books that she read to me. So it never occurred to me that I wouldn't read um, because everybody around me did. My parents did on the weekends when I saw them. I didn't see them much during the work week. But, um, you know, my parents read, so it was modeled for me. And then, of course, I was a Sesame Street kid, so uh, nice. Sesame Street helped a lot. Very cool. The uh, Yeah, I was a Sesame Street kid, too. Matter of fact, I just recently annoyed and entertained some people with my rendition of uh, certain songs that are stuck in my head. <laughs> um, oh, that's great. That uh, comes straight from there, like uh, 7 and uh, 8 and uh, <laughs> and 12. What's the, is it that the ladybugs at the ladybugs picnic? You know, it's... <laughs> So got to be careful here because suddenly I'll start in my own version of those songs. But right. <laughs> with that be with that being said, I and I know that feeling. I I mean I I liked reading, but really my focus my focus was on comic books. I like superheroes and especially like Spider Man and Batman. And uh, often times that's what you'd find me reading. Comic books are making a big comeback. We have uh, graphic novels now, and they fly off our shelves. Um, 
but they're they're more um, they're more like novels with comics in them, and so that's one of the the fastest growing uh, genres out there. That's really it, it's so cool because I know you know that would have been first of all I would have definitely been checking them out all the time, <laughs> but the uh, uh, but you know it's it's just kind of neat because you see that uh, that that's a way of you know increasing the attention getting the attention of someone, someone who may not have wanted to pick up a book or something like that to, uh, or wanting to read electronically online or whatever, um, that might be the way of doing it. So that's pretty cool. They're out there. I know, uh, um, myself, I would, have, I really would have liked that, but, uh, so let's, let me ask you this. What would someone find you reading? What, what types of things did you like to read? Um, well, one of my, the first chapter book I ever read, um, I went through my first grade teacher had the buckets of books, you know, and, and one day she took me to the library and let me read Helen Keller's The Story of My Life. That's what I chose off the shelf. And so I really enjoyed connecting with Helen Keller. And I don't know if I even realized she was a real person. I think I did. I was only seven or eight. But by the time I was in third grade, I would read like Nancy Drew books and I still love mysteries. So if I'm going to pick a beach read or something, it's either going to be a chick lit book or it's going to be a book, you know, that, that has some kind of mystery element. Um, and I still love to uh, read memoirs, too. That's cool. The uh, Now, I can tell you, aside from uh, my comic books, I loved reading um, nonfiction, especially if the nonfiction was about, and this is way before Jurassic Park, but about dinosaurs and uh, all mm -hmm. kinds of cool stuff there. I, I had a nice collection of uh, different types of books that were about, about dinosaurs and uh if it wasn't about dinosaurs, then I was probably reading about some sort of animals. The uh, that's usually the type of book that I checked out. But if we're talking about um, adventure or uh, uh, you know fiction books, typically what I discovered, and it and it was thanks to the um, Disney always had the Mickey Mouse Club on, and uh, you know the different versions of it that came throughout the years, and they'd show reruns of the uh, Hardy Boys mysteries, which made me look yeah, into reading right. the Hardy Boys books. And uh, that that became something that grew into other, you know, more advanced mystery type things down the road. So I was Nancy Drew and you were Hardy's boys. That's awesome. It's cool. <laughs> Very nice. So you know, how about today? Do you have favorites to read? Do you ever find yourself reading more than one book at a time? And if you had a choice, what would you choose over anything else to read? Oh, goodness. I often find myself reading more than one book at a time. Um, I have different mental states. I know that sounds funny, but um, on the way to work. <laughs> I often listen to audiobooks. I'll, you know, use Audible or some other audiobook app or I'll listen to podcasts. So I'm kind of gearing into my day. I like to listen to those things. Um, I read a lot of fiction and nonfiction, but I found that I prefer audiobooks for nonfiction. And then um, fiction books, I read, um, gosh, I have a lot of favorite authors. Um, Amazon ran an offer last year um, where they had an international author's day and you could just you know, for free sample, all these books from all over the world. So I have some favorite authors whose names that I can't pronounce because the <laughs> books were translated. And so um, just lots of different stuff. I, I really like to expose myself to lots of things, but there are two authors that I will put on pre-order. Um, and one of them is Jonathan Kellerman. I will always like his book will be on my Kindle the day it releases and Patricia Cornwell. And both of those are mystery writers. Very cool. I know, uh, you know, once I finished my doctorate a bunch of years ago, I decided to start reading books that I had wanted to, <laughs> that I hadn't been able to for a long time. Because my favorite still in the nonfiction world, I like reading books on leadership and in it and certain education books and stuff like this. But the uh, but in the fiction world, I've been uh, catching up on all my Star Wars and Star Trek books that uh, were produced before 
you know, now in the Star Wars world, Disney's calling that Legends time frame. Right. <laughs> I'm getting caught up on those. And in, and in the Star Trek world, it's even though I've got, I, I read from time to time some in the next generation, I really like the, the original. Got to have, got to have Spock and Scotty and Bones and right. Kirk and all them. <laughs> so, right. But anyway, so that's, that's my world. The, uh, so, Let's let's kind of start shifting us towards where we're going today, and let's let's talk about this. You know, what's the purpose of a school library? Oh, that's a great question. So Hilda Wiesgard wrote a book called "Leading from the Library: There Is No Other Choice," and in her book, she talked about the history of school libraries or public school libraries, and they were modeled on the public library, but they were the purpose was to bring the public library to the school since the student couldn't necessarily get to the public library. So there were a lot of regulations. Um, school librarians were, um, each school had to have a square footage and so many copies of a book and so many certified staff people and so many clerks and things like that. So they started that way, but they've evolved quite a bit and um, devolved quite a bit. Unfortunately, we'll talk about that later, I hope. But um, with the school library now, our focus is on, you'll hear things like future ready libraries and next gen and all that stuff. But what we're trying to do is focus on the whole child to make a space where students can come and read and commune, almost like a coffee shop, student commons kind of area. So you'll start to hear in the future and even now learning commons so that students can come in high school, for example, maybe even get a cup of coffee sit and discuss a book or discuss writing with somebody else while maybe somebody plays a guitar in the corner and somebody else is taking a test. So we're trying to serve the entire population, but still keep the focus on literacy and books um, and also meet the needs of different learners. So, you know, podcasts, audiobooks, things like that. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's funny because just the other day I was talking with some friends about, and I forget what brought it up, but we were talking about libraries and, you know, it's, it was neat. The community I was in, and, and just as a note, had quite a quite an active public library system. And so, like during the summer, as a as a little kid, I went there and and uh, I was in, enrolled in art classes and different sorts of um, not necessarily reading classes, but like they they might have everything from puppet shows to different types of art that you could uh, participate in, learning how to do pottery or learning how to paint or or whatever, draw and and lots of activities like that. Well, one of the things that was pretty cool about the library system in that community was that they had the bookmobile. Yes. <laughs> and and the bookmobile came to my area, not too far from my house, where I could walk there and it parked right out in front of a seven <laughs> eleven. And yes. so I always made sure that I had some um I, I'd make sure that somebody, one of my parents or my grandfather or grandmother would give me a little bit of change. And uh so I'd go into the bookmobile, get whatever books I was going to check out, then I'd go into uh the 7-Eleven and buy like a Slurpee <laughs> and and drink it while I'm walking home. <laughs> that is actually something that Whitfield County Schools does. We don't have a bookmobile where we have books on a bus, although I believe Dalton City does. Whitfield County, we have summer, uh, with the summer feeding program, we have literacy events. So there are people who have porches even, and kids can pile up on the porch and read a book, maybe even get a book to take home. Our school libraries are open in the summer so that students who come and participate in the summer feeding program are also able to check in and out books certain days of the week. So we're doing the same thing. It's almost like what's old is new again, trying to get put put books in the hands of kids. Very cool. Very cool. It's, it's so neat. I uh, in, in the area where I work, I have two systems who have created, they, they have 
a modern version of the bookmobile. It has more technology and all that on it, and it's pretty cool. And it's all about going into those communities, taking during the times, especially summertime, when uh, just to help reinforce the ability to read and and help build those skills. So it's it's a cool thing to see what is old is new again. I love it. <laughs> so, so anybody in the community can also help with summer reading if you want to. There's a thing called Little Free Lending Libraries, and if you are handy or if you can find somebody handy. You can build basically a big birdhouse that's waterproofed and put a door on it and people can come and swap out books in your yard. So as long as your HOA won't get you in trouble for that. Um, <laughs> we just have one uh, that was put in our, our neighborhood. Uh, a neighbor put one up the hill from us and we, we have them all over Whitfield County. I think Gordon County has a few, but they're also catching on and those are for everybody. You just you take a book, leave a book, you know, swap them out. And I think that's a beautiful idea. Oh, that's an awesome idea. One of the coolest that I've ever seen is in Macon, Georgia. It is a life-size replica of the TARDIS from Doctor Who. And it's it's so cool. It's it's the neatest thing. Um, it's it's like it, you kind of do a double take. You go, what? What? <laughs> Turn that's around and go awesome. back. And, <laughs> so good stuff. So so yeah, let's talk a little bit about this. As you know, as we compete for the attention of young readers. School librarians are doing some cool stuff to engage students and to expose them to new reading material. Can you share a few of those really cool sorts of things? Sure. Um, so thinking of a K-12 student, we, we adapt some of these same programs all across the board. And some of them just, you know, end up being for younger students or whatever. But, you know, librarians have always given something called the book talk. That's where you hold up the book and you're like, this book is great because I love it. And, you know, um, but now we put more of the agency in the hands of the students. So we'll allow students to give book talks, talks on um, things like Flipgrid or Google Slides or record a video, um, techie ways to do that, or by making book trailers, which are like movie trailers, but they center around a book. So um, Scholastic and all the big publishing houses do that. Um, even for adult books, you can go on YouTube and find book trailers for the next book that you want to read. Um, Book tastings are one of my favorite things to do. Book tastings can be anything from a picnic to a formal sit-down dinner. And the students can dress appropriately or pretend appropriately, whatever. But basically, you lay out place settings and the entree is the book. So the media specialist chooses certain books and puts them as an entree. And when students come to the library, they find a book where that, that they would like to taste or sample. And they're able to go through that. And some some media specialists put them put book baskets in the middle and students can choose their entree. Sometimes if they want to increase circulation, they lay the book out. Um, a similar program is called speed reading or speed dating a book. We try not to use the word dating in K-5, but <laughs> basically speed reading. Um, we did this with poetry not long ago. Um, four kids to a table and there's a pile of poetry books in the middle. Things like Shel Silverstein and some of the books that we grew up with that kids really don't know about. And you have the kid pick up a book, you put on a two minute timer, they read for two minutes and then pass to the left. So once you've done that four times, every student at that table has read four different poetry books and then they may choose to you know, check one out or not. So it, it makes it nice. It exposes kids to lots of different genres, but it leaves them the choice of which ones they want to or don't want to check out. Very cool. Very cool. There's some neat stuff out there to try and get uh, kids to, to see that there's a whole other world than just necessarily with an electronic screen and, uh, <laughs> and exercising your thumbs or whatever. We even have something for those kids. Um, Tome Society, um, has, it's a fairly recent program and, um, 
it, it's it's held currently, I think, at North Georgia College. But Tome Society allows students to design coding or books or videos around a book that they've read and then compete with other students. So, you know, in the past, we've had reading bowls where it's like a reading quiz game. But Tome Society actually gives kids lots more um, chances to express, you know, how they enjoy or how they've interacted with a book or how a book's affected them. So um, even our Cody, you know, kids that want to get involved and, and do something other than write a report, there's lots of ways to, to, you know, let them advance their reading. Very cool. Very cool. So let's focus on, now let's start to get into our topic, independent reading choice, because there's a little controversy around this. Can you talk a little bit about that? First of okay. all, let's let's talk about what independent reading choice is, and then let's talk about why it's a little controversial. Okay, so independent reading choice is what we exercise as adults. Um, you know, if you want to buy a National Enquirer at the checkout line, you know, you'll buy it. If you want to go to Amazon, you buy what you want to buy. And if you want to go to the library, nobody follows you around and says, oh, that book's too <laughs> difficult for you, or that book doesn't fit, you know, your lifestyle or whatever. And so with students, the the, the choices have often been taken away, even unintentionally sometimes, by programs like Accelerated Reader or programs like Read 180, where we prescribe reading to students, almost like we're sending them the message, this is what's wrong with you. If, we, if you'll read what I tell you to, it'll fix it. And so students end up not choosing to read because for students who struggle, it can become something that always reminds them that they don't do well. And so what we want to do is let students choose what they want to read, whether that be a newspaper, a magazine. If they're reading, it's a good thing. Very cool. That's uh, that's good stuff. And I could see where, you know, it, it just uh, if you have your supporters of those other programs where it could create some maybe a little bit of angst there and so forth. And it's, you know, it's it, I know that being able to choose, you know, it's kind of neat because at some point. When I was in elementary school, probably somewhere around fourth grade, I discovered that my grandfather had been a tanker in World War II. And, yeah. and one of the things that uh, I, and it, I was, I think I was either with my mom or with an uncle or something, we were going through stuff and I got to see pictures and there were his patches and there were different uh, articles that had been cut out and letters that he had sent back and that had been sent back and forth and stuff like this. And it was it was really cool, and so that became a huge topic for me. I started uh, wanting to read anything and everything I could on uh, on World War II, and especially anything that had to do with the European theater and tanks. And uh, right. you know, and and I think you know, no matter what the gen what creates the interest, that uh, being able to have that choice. I mean, I had, that just inspired me to want to know more, and uh, and that came up out of my own. It didn't come from an assignment. It came from I'd like to read this and being able to. <laughs> So my question would be then to, to show the other side of it, would you have passed an AR test on that book and does it matter? And that's what and we're doing. That's <laughs> what we're doing to kids. We're saying right. if you can't, if you can't pass my random 10 questions on this book, then you don't read well enough to deserve to read the book. And when you put it that way, it's almost like we're snatching books out of children's hands. And we don't want to do that. You know, in the interest of gathering data, yes, there are places for a child to read out loud to you and for us to even know their level so that we can help push them forward. But to label a child a reading level or to say, oh, you're only an M or an N or whatever it is, then we're taking away the incentive to read at all. Yeah, that's interesting. That's uh, that's a good point. You know, because you, you, know, you don't, you really want to be careful not to 
you, you might actually shut that down. I think we're going to get into something like that in just a minute, but it's, you know, it's uh, one of those things where uh, it, it can be very fragile about that interest, I guess. And if, if it, if someone's starting to make you or you feel like you're being made to go a certain direction or because you, you didn't understand something, you know, it's kind of like uh, when somebody tells you uh, um, <laughs> when they, they try and, f- I, I hope I don't offend all anybody who likes poetry, but uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're not really into poetry and then you start, you, you show a little bit of appreciation for something, but because you say something wrong about it to somebody who's an expert in it, next thing you know is you're going, okay, that's the last time I'm venturing into the poetry world. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Well, didn't mean to go on that long. Virtual <laughs> can silence that, but I understand what you're talking about. So, so let's, let's talk about something you've written. In, in March of 2019, you published an article in Perspectives on Reading, a quarterly online magazine about reading. And your article was titled, School Library Media Specialists Evolve, Champion Independent Reading. And early in this article, you say, modern media specialists often find that their jobs are in jeopardy. What do you mean? Oh, wow. So um, all over the country, it's been in the news. And of course, unless you just happen to have this particular Google alert, you may or may not know. But um, just a quick search shows that the L.A. Times, the Seattle Times, Waco Tribune Herald and the Iowa City Press Citizen have all since the beginning of March of this year posted that they're losing school library media specialist jobs. So I think Texas also grappled. Well, I did say Waco, but when you when you look at how many states that is there, we have 50 states. I've mentioned four. So, I mean, do we really want to lose these people? Do we really want to lose this chance to encounter books? And so. What we're seeing is that administrator preparation programs are not teaching what a school library media specialist does. School library media specialists are not necessarily um, advocated for by the people at the district office. And the word is not out about what they're doing. So they're seen as expendable, like they're nice to have. And we've seen this in music and art programs you know, already. But taking out the school library media specialist means shutting down what should be the hub of the school or putting in the hands of somebody who is not a literacy expert. I mean, yes, you can get a clerk or, you know, almost anybody to check in and out books, but do they have that knowledge and that, that base of, you know, the literacy, the authors, how to, you know, give book talks, how to serve children. And are they in most States, a school library media specialist is a certified teacher. Um, and even in the states where they are, don't have to be a certified teacher, in most cases they are, they, you know, they work very closely with them. So it's just to think about this going away is just mind blowing. And there are parents, even in the state of Georgia, who don't realize that their student, their children are not being served by a certified school library, uh, certified school librarian. So we have districts where, you know, they may have replaced everybody but one. And they have one for the whole district and everybody, you know, the whole media program is run by a clerk. And while I understand the money saving properties of this, if you look at the literacy rates in some of those districts, you can watch the decline of the literacy rate, you know, go hand in hand with the loss of that position. That's amazing because I, I know that I've heard those discussions and uh, I've, I've actually um, read articles where I've seen where communities have eliminated many of the, the school level librarians to replace them with or media specialists to replace them with a clerk and it's because they've lost sight of what the position's all about in in some cases uh 
you know, they've, they've got them uh, just checking in and out books or they've uh, got them uh, uh, being part of the scheduling process or something like this right. and, and or just letting them be a babysitting hub instead of the idea that uh, the, the person should be a teacher that's in there and should be helping to uh, instruct classes on everything from uh, – uh, how to use uh, the different technology of a library, how to do research, how to, uh, how to access any number of things. And one of my favorite librarians ever, when I was a high school principal, uh, she, one of the things that she did was we would identify books that she would order two copies of each of them uh, that the kids chose, and then the kids would choose somebody to read the book with them. And she was really good at going out and finding uh, uh, bringing the kids, you know, she worked with the teachers to bring the kids in and then would work to find things that they might like that were, uh, would help build their, their vocabulary and reading level. And, and that's, uh, you know, th that doesn't happen just because you, you have just, you know, it's, it's not just a holding place for materials. So. Sure. So there are, um, if you're an administrator listening to the podcast, um, if you want to see what's going on in these future ready library uh, library programs. Um, Future Ready Librarians is a great group to follow on Twitter or on Facebook. But also, we have a great organization here in Georgia called the Georgia Library Media Association. And our Summer Institute is coming up in June. Um, and Superintendent Woods is actually going to be our keynote speaker, which we're very excited about because we really need people at the state and at the, the recent and district levels to learn what we do and to advocate for us because we serve every child in the school. And I think that without us telling our story and without us, you know, without an intentional relationship there, people won't realize what they're losing. It's easy to make those cuts on paper, but then if you're in the, the library and see what good is being done in there, then, you know, it wouldn't even come across as a, you know, as an option. That's, that's awesome. So can you just real quick before, and I'll put this in the show notes where there will be links and such, but can you remind everybody what that event is in Georgia again? That it's the, that the, the GLMA, Georgia Library Media Association Summer Institute. It's going to be held in Peachtree City um, on June, I believe it's 10th and the 11th. Awesome. So I'll put a link to that, uh, put a little reminder about that in the show notes. So very cool. And that's neat that, uh, and just so you know, the listeners who don't know, who aren't from Georgia, uh, Superintendent Woods is the state superintendent of, of Georgia, who will be a, your keynote. So that's very cool. So with that being said, in, in this article, one of the things you do is you ask this question. You say, why is independent reading important? So let's answer the question. Why is it important? Well, we, you know, educated people read. It, it's the it, non-educated people read. It's it's the one thing that pulls us together as a society. Libraries are some of the oldest institutions, you know, that were made by by civilization. Um, as soon as we could read and write, we archived what we read and wrote. So we can take that ancient answer and push it forward. I mean, you know, had the earliest writings that we have no, you know, known to man not survive, where would we be? But then also, even in education, there was a great article in Educational Leadership um, a few years ago called Every Child Every Day. The authors are Richard Allington and Rachel Gabriel, and they talk about the uh, elements of effective reading instruction. And the first element of effective reading instruction is independent choice reading by students. But if you go into an elementary classroom and watch reading take place, you will generally see a teacher pull out either a basal reader or leveled readers 
or they'll say pick from these books, but you're not really giving that child the choice sometimes. So um, other people have started to say we really are overusing this labeling of kids. Uh, Fountas and Pinnell, who are the guided reading gurus, they came up with a guided reading and we use their leveling system A through Z. They've gone on record many times to say that they never meant for a child to even know their level. They meant, never meant for those levels to be sent home to parents. Those were an instructional tool for the teacher to help the student move forward, but never to be a label. But what we see is we see that, you know, kids will say, oh, I'm a D, I'm a G. And so they internalize this level and they stop you know, having that kid in the candy store about reading. And when we lose that, we lose the joy of reading. So you have to ask yourself, who am I to dictate what a reader reads? Because we don't have a reading enforcer as adults when we go out and choose what we want to read. And we don't, we don't read on our Lexile level either. You know, you and I both have advanced degrees. I don't want to read on that Lexile at the beach, you know, and (laughs) we read for pleasure. And so we want to grow readers who read for pleasure and who make this a lifelong habit. So if we don't give them ample opportunity to experience lots of different types of reading, they're not going to do it. They're going to read until school's out and they'll never pick up another book. Which is sad because, you, and you're so right about, I mean, I definitely do not want to read at the, the, the some of the, the books that uh, are are written at such a level that I, and I often joke about this, we need a translator for you know for the words in the book just to understand some of the main words and I, yeah i know i don't want that i want to be able to you know the action adventure let's go hey right. you know let your imagination run wild and that's not going to happen you're right if we're dictating too much of that so good stuff there i, I appreciate you talking with me about that and you know one of the things that i i want to do here is that when we talked about this is a possible topic uh, you, you shared with me that not only is independent reading choice important to you as a librarian, but you're also a parent. And you said that it also share, it's also important to you as a parent. Could you explain why? Sure. So I have two children. Um, I have a son who is 20 and he's at KSU. And my son, David, has always been a lover of language. He's loved, you know, reading and writing and he picked it up. Um, but in third grade, he had an interesting experience. He came into third grade quote, on level, and he left third grade on the same level. And, um, you know, I, I worked at the same school where he was. I was the computer teacher, so I didn't have anything to do with his academics. But meanwhile, his level, you know, when his level wasn't changing at school, what he was reading at home was Civil War books. And we live in Northwest Georgia, so one of our main, you know, routes is I-75. To go anywhere up here, you hop on 75 and go to the next town. And so we would go up and down 75 and he would say, hey, the battle of such and such was fought here. And this was the general and this is where they slept. and This is where they ate. And this guy did this. And he was reading, obviously, above the level that he was, quote, supposed to. But because he was restricted at school, he really he went through a period where he didn't enjoy reading because he wasn't you know, he he was feeling like he was a rebel if he read what he wanted to. So, um, you know. That was the first time that I really thought, what are we doing to kids for reading? And then um, about the time he was in third grade, I had my daughter and um, we we understood about the time she was two that she wasn't developing language um, like a typical child would. And by the time she was two years old, she was enrolled in speech. And we realized that she had um, something called apraxia of speech, which 
um, affects your reading language. And later we found out that she had um, social pragmatic communication disorder, which um, is or is not, depending on the volume of the DSM on the, the autism spectrum level. But what that means for her is that reading is a struggle and um, there's some dyslexia and dysgraphia involved. It's really hard for her to write her letters, but she loves to read. Now, I just said she can't read, but she loves to read. So we're in this this time where we can put reading in front of her through tools like Get Epic and tools like Learning Ally. And she can see on the screen a book that she enjoys reading or listening to, or I can put on an audio book in the car. But these online tools let her see the words highlighted as they're being read. And then she can pause and read that book back to herself and then listen to it a third time. So, you know, for a student with a processing delay or somebody who needs that extra attention, we have the technology, if we teach the student to use it appropriately, to still grow a reader. And, you know, after several years of this now, she's able to sit in the car and read a book independently, um, you know, still at a lower level than her peers. But if she wants to read a book on the level of her peers, technology makes that possible. And so, you know, taking this 10 year change, they're nine years apart in the, um, you know, the way that we understand reading, the way that we understand kids read. And now Georgia has um, legislated some dyslexia uh, screenings and things. I think we're going to see a turn for growing readers again and understanding that all people can read. We just may do it very differently. Very cool. The, uh, we have, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, it, it's interesting because I don't know where, what I would, uh, reading's important to me. I guess that's where I'm going with this. And it's, it's important for many different reasons. It allows me escape. It allows me opportunities to learn. I'm, uh, I, there's friends of mine will tell you that I'm an avid reader. I, like I asked you earlier, I have multiple books going. I always do. (laughs) I try to keep one fiction book going at a time, but usually it's uh, multiple nonfiction books going at a time. And I have, I'm true to form right now. And, you know, and I, and I think, uh, um, yeah, it's one of those things that trying to do our best to encourage and not get caught up in, in uh, what, uh, you know, whether there's a pseudoscience about how we should do it right. <laughs> um, and, and being careful not to dissuade, uh, you know, the, you know the, just the desire to try and figure out and want to learn and want to read and want to uh, pick up a book and say, hey, I like this. <laughs> I don't I think it, it matters more that you read, not what or how you read. You know, if, if reading for you is an audiobook, that counts. If reading for you is, you know, a Kindle, that counts. If reading for you is a book that you hold with your hands. And I think that so many times we kind of squeeze people into our own reading profile. You know, teachers who, who might or may not like graphic novels may not promote those. Whereas, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid and, um, you know, all those will fly off the shelves because those are the books that kids gravitate to, especially kids who struggle with reading. When you take a graphic novel, you have all of these visual cues that lighten the load and engage another part of the brain so that they can successfully read. And I think, you know, one day we'll look back at these years and see that, you know, people read at different speeds and at different interest levels, but it's important that we all do it. Yeah. One of the things I want to do is you shared a link to an article that I think is important for us to talk about here. And it, it was published in April 2019 
um, in an issue of School Library Journal in the Teen Librarian Toolbox. And it's titled Sunday Reflections, How Misuse of the 40 Book Challenge Made My Kid Hate Reading and Why and How I Pushed Back. And the author is Karen Jensen. Can you just talk a little bit about that, that article? So I read that article as a mom because, you know, as I shared earlier, my daughter struggles with reading. And so I was like, ooh, let's see what she did. Um, I haven't had to fight many reading battles for my daughter, but I'm always interested when somebody struggles and I wanted to see what the deal was. I really didn't know going into the article what it would be about. But basically, there's a 40 book challenge that Donalyn Miller, who is a huge advocate of children reading and, and having children fall in love with reading. Um, she started this thing called the 40 book challenge. Well, like any other thing that becomes a thing, once it gets a label, it gets Pinterest and shared and tweeted. And so it's been watered down so that people were misusing it. And Donlin even wrote an article called the 40 book challenge revisited to try to clarify the original intent because she, she just cringes when she sees how teachers misuse it. But in this article, the teacher was like mandating writing and kids were being, I mean, reading and kids were being punished for not reading enough books. And, you know, that's crazy. So she, um, you know, she shared, this mom shared what she did to get her daughter engaged in reading despite the 40 book challenge. And the article, um, she even had to go to bat at school. And, and it sounds like her battle at school wasn't completely successful, but she did advocate for her child and her child is reading. And so, you know, on the one side, it has a happy ending. On the other side, it shows how much work we still have to do as educators to understand that not every kid is going to read like perhaps we do. You know, most people in education, I think it's fair to say, we're fairly good students, or at least we love to learn. And so sometimes when we encounter students who struggle, or we encounter students who don't love to learn, or don't learn to love to learn the way that we do, we almost try to put them in our box. And that's one of the most dangerous things we can do with reading, because, you know, we don't want to shut that down for them. You're so right. So right on the money. So we're getting close to finishing up. And one of the things I want to just do here is what did, let's talk about this. How, what advice or how, what suggestion would you give to, uh, to help schools support, encourage, and promote independent reading? Well, firstly, I think we need to let kids know that we read. Um, you know, administrators should be reading cafeteria workers should be reading, you know, letting kids know that. But one of the big things that we're missing, I think, in education, especially in third grade and up, is we stop reading aloud. And if I walked into the library today and somebody was reading aloud, I would find a chair and sit down and listen. Podcasts are one of the biggest growing pieces of literacy that we have. Audiobooks are selling like hotcakes. People like to listen to stories. People like to listen to reading. So one of the biggest things we can do is just read aloud, even if that's over the intercom or, you know, a snippet of a book or whatever. Um, there's been a viral story on Facebook where one of the principals out West reads a, a bedtime story to her kids at night, you know, um, people want to be read to. So one of the things is to read. And the other thing is, you know, let the kids share what they're reading and why. And technology allows us to do this a hundred million different ways but taking the tech out of it, you can take a Sharpie and an index card and have a bookend in the library and put up books and why kids like it. You know, one, two, three, I like this book because ABC. 
we make it too hard sometimes. We say, I don't have time when the truth is we don't know, you know, we're just not willing to put in a little bit of work. So showcasing what's circulating in the library, most school libraries have um, an online card catalog system and you can quickly run stats and see what your, you know, biggest circulating titles are. Um, Bringing in visiting authors is a great way because a lot of times if you spark a reader, you're also sparking a writer. So letting an author come in and give the background of a story will encourage kids to both read the story, but also some kids to write their own story. Um, partnering with the public library, the public libraries, you know, have all this wonderful programming. And I've always said that media specialists should be partners too. We should go and hear how they give book talks, what they do and emulate some of the things that they do. And lastly, I'll share an idea from one of my media specialists. And this is one of those, why didn't I think of this stories? But, um, Ms. Barnell, one of our library media specialists started a family book club this last year. And she called me and she was almost a little bit shy to share the idea. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she said, I've ordered this book and families can sign up to read it together as a family. Now take away every piece of technology, you know, and conjure up the Waltons or little house on the prairie. And ma or pa is sitting in the living room, reading a chapter out of a book to the whole family. This is what she did for that school. Nice. And the entire school came together around this one book. So they all read it. And then um, they had a night where they did art projects, I believe, around the book. And the parents were like, when are we doing it again? Because parents, she said, reported that, you know, that was the first time they'd ever done anything like that. It brought the family together. It just really created this strong family unit. And I think that's a great way to do things. You know, there are boys and girls club and after school programs where kids, you know, are kind of bored anyway. You know, we can get into those and read. Um, one of the things that we do here at Whitfield County Schools is right before we break for Christmas every year, and I love this program, everybody goes to other schools and reads. Our, our high school principals go down to the feeder schools, um, central office, everybody leaves their desk, and we head out to the schools and we read books to the kids to put the, kid, to put the year to rest. And so we're modeling for them that we are readers and we want to share stories with them. So I think any of those ideas, you know, you can put your own spin on it and you know, I think if you want to be a reader, you have to read. And if you want to grow readers, you have to give them the chance. That's awesome. That's excellent. I mean, it's, you know, and, and being able to see other people reading and he- hearing them read to them is excellent. And, yeah, you know, it's cool because I do, I, I listen, not only do I have my own podcast, but I listen to other podcasts and I constantly am searching out, trying to find ones that do other things. Like there are a couple out there, there's several out there that they're just, uh, uh, there are audio retellings of uh, some of the classic stories that exist and uh, which I think is really cool. So you can find uh, many different books out there that way, or you can find audio dramas and stuff like that, which can also encourage somebody's listening. So good stuff. The, uh, you know, one of the things I'd like to do is make sure that I ask you this, if a listener would like to connect with you um, or learn more about this subject, uh, how can they connect with you? Where would you like them to go? And what would be a resource you'd like to uh, have them visit or read? Um, well, I am at G-A-B-O-L-H-U-I-S on Twitter, but if you search for my name, G-A-N, it's G-E hyphen A-N-N-E, it will probably take you to my Google site. Um, my other life, besides being a school library media specialist liaison, is I'm an instructional technology specialist, so I'm often at G-A-T-C events or at Reese's, and so I'm at Ed Camps, Coffee EDU, so it's, I'm not hard to find. 
Excellent. And uh, I'll make sure that those links are there so that you can uh, reach out to, to GN and ask her some questions or, uh, or just say hi and uh, um, share what you like to read. So that's good stuff. So here, as we're bringing this to a close, I got my last two questions and they go like this. If you were given the chance to talk with an audience of K through three school parents, what advice would you give them about helping their children with reading? I would say read to your child every day, even if it's five minutes. Don't worry about being a good reader yourself. But let them hear you and see you read, you know, not only reading to them, but reading your own thing. And if you don't feel like you're a good enough reader, try audiobooks. There are free audiobooks out there. Um, make it a family event. Visit the public library. Just make reading part of the, you know, what makes you a family. Excellent. I love it. I l love that. So last question. Do you have a favorite author from your childhood that you have revisited as an adult to see if you still liked his or her writing? And let's look at this a little differently. Do you have a children's author today that you have read as an adult and say, hey, I kind of like this author? <laughs> so you're going to laugh. But when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of books in the house, but I love to read. So but my parents got the paper. From the age of probably eight or nine years old, I read Ann Landers, the advice column, every <laughs> yes, yes. single day, awesome. every single day. So our paper would come and I would read that. And then I started reading the local newspaper because that's what I had. And I guess it was on the table or whatever. So I would read the newspaper. Um, I didn't start reading children's books until I was in college studying to be an elementary education teacher. <laughs> wow. So when I was in college, then I learned about Old Yeller and all the books that everybody else had read. So um, that's when I fell in love with things like Nancy Drew again and uh, Little House. But my only children's books that I can remember reading are things like, you know, Nancy Drew, because I, I got hooked on that series and just read everything. Um, my favorite children's book author, though, since I've started teaching is Kate DiCamillo, who wrote Because of When Dixie. And Because of When Dixie is a book that I give as a gift again and again and again. And I give it to new parents. I give it to people who have gone through, you know, health issues. I give it through people who come out of rehab because there's so much in that book that applies to everybody. It's truly a story of, you know, everybody just wanting to have somebody that cares about them. And it's a story of taking, you know, mistakes from the past and moving forward. It's just a neat, neat story. So there are so many layers to it that I've taught it to third grade. I've taught it to fifth grade and I cannot read the book without becoming a sobbing mess, but I really, really love the book. And I think it has a great, great story, but um, that's truly a gift that Kate gave the world when she gave us because of Winn-Dixie. That's awesome. The, uh, and I got to tell you that there is, there's a book series that I really wished I'd had when I was a kid and I discovered it when my kids brought it home and I would read it and have fun doing voices and stuff with it. But there's Captain Underpants is, is an yes. incredible series. There's nothing, some of the goofy humor that's inside that book. And I'm so thankful they turned it into a movie and other things. So, but okay, I digress. Anyway, tra-la-la. Those so, fly off our shelves too. We like, we like Dave. It's, it's Dave Pilkey, isn't it? Yes. Is that his name? Or, yes. yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I noticed he has some new series out. I think it involves some other character. I'm like, oh, I might have to check this. Out. I might have to read this one. <laughs> I think it's called Dog Man, but he, he wrote a book years ago that came through the Scholastic Book Fair when I was a, a newer teacher um, called Dog Breath. And that's a great book. And I've read it K-12 because, again, it's one of those books you can pull a lot of stuff out of. Um, yes. You can teach a lot of literary elements out of it. And it's funny and it's gross. And I kind of like those kind of books. <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent. I may have to go find dog breath then. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Jeanne, I thoroughly enjoyed our talk about the role of the library and the importance of independent reading and choice. I wish you the best in getting the message out, and I encourage our listeners to check out Jeanne's article, School Library Media Specialist Evolve, Champion Independent Reading. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V, and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.